Well, if you have your Bibles, we are look, looking at Mark chapter 6. This uh, miracle is one of those that's found in all four of the Gospels, so it was a hard to pick which text to use. But I used uh, uh, chapter Mark 6 because it uses an interesting phrase, which I'll refer to later. But if you look at it, I'd like to, to look at, first of all, some lessons on, on God's ability, and then ask ourselves, how can we build trust in his ability? First of all, I think we need to see that God is able. Look at verse 30, where this episode starts. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Uh, then, because so many were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves to a boat, to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot, a, foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd." So he began to teach them. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy uh, something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we have five loaves and we have two fishes. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. You know, I think what Jesus wanted to do was to teach these people their ability. I mean, he turned to them and said, hey, guys, <laughs> you've had a great tour. You've been out there doing the miracles and stuff. He says, give these people some eat, something to eat. And they said, Lord, there's no way we could do that. I mean, it would take eight months' salary. We don't have that kind of cash, and uh, we can't do it. And Jesus said, okay, I'll do it. What have you got? Well, we got five loaves. We got two little fish. And so he multiplied it, and he... He did it. He was demonstrating to them his ability. He wants them to know that even though I have chosen you and I send you out to be my representative and you've had great success, don't let it go to your head. Always remember that when I send you out, it's not your ability. It's my ability. I am both the provider of the bread and the fish, but I'm also the what? I'm the one that is empowering you. I'm the one who is able to take five loaves and two fish, feed 5,000 men plus whoever else is there and have 12 baskets left over. Only I can give that provision. Only I have that power. And he wants the disciples to know that because he's soon going to turn and start heading towards the cross. And he wants them to know that even the worst is yet to come, the cross. But secondly, we need to see not just his ability, but look at his inability. Because when you preach this passage, you have to look down at verse 45 and following. It says, Immediately 
Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. So in other words, they fed the people, the miracle has occurred, and Jesus says, now let's get into a boat and go across. And, uh, and go on ahead, and they, he sent them ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he was dismissing the crowd. So here, Jesus says, I want you guys to get in the boat, go across the lake, and I'll meet you there. They don't stop to say, how are you going to get there? <laughs> he's going to later walk on water, but they don't know how he's going to get there. But he says, go across the water. After leaving them, he went to the mountainside, and there he spent some time quietly in prayer. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of night, he went out to them walking on the lake. Now, this is not the first time. If you go back a couple chapters in the Gospel of Mark, you see Jesus walked on the water. So, so this is, should not have startled them because they've already seen him do it before. He was about to pass them. <laughs> he was at the Talladega 500 in the passing lane. He, he was about to pass them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all, they, they all saw him and were terrified. Here he just fed 5,000 people, and now they've seen him walk on water, but they are so full of themselves that they fail to realize that this is the Son of God doing it again. They think he's a ghost. They're terrified. And so immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. And look at this last line of verse 52. Their hearts were hardened. They did not get the miracle of the 5,000. They did not understand that he was the power. He was the provider. He was the one who is able to do anything he wants. And so now they're out in the middle of the lake. They're roaring against a stiff breeze. They're going nowhere. They see Jesus there, and they still don't get it that he has come to help them. He has come to be their power. He has come to be their provider. He is the one, only one that can do it. My friends, it's easy for me to sit here 2,000 years later and look at these disciples and say, you idiots, <laughs> you follow me? But if I had been in that situation, would I have been a hard-hearted person as well? If I had been there, would I have been the one that was so consumed with eating the food and the miraculous and the food and enjoying the excitement of the masses and the crowds that I didn't get the point that he is the provider and he is the only one that has the power, and he has the ability to do what only God can do. My friends, he wants us to know not just his ability, but he also wants us to know our inability, that we are totally dependent upon him. I was listening to a CD on changing people, a secular CD this week, and the guy was talking about, he says, uh, if people don't want to change, he says, you know, and you work with them, they don't want to change, you know, maybe you try to change your spouse or friend or someone at work or whatever, and they don't want to change. He says, either one, give it up, or two, give them up. <laughs> you know, you know. And I thought, there's so many times in our lives we have a friend, a, a, maybe a member of our family, and we like to change them. We like to take our fist and drive it down their throat, grab their heart, and change the, the way, the motivations of the heart, and make them want to be a different kind of person. But the problem is, is my fist is too big to get down their throat. And only God has the ability to change the life of another person. Only God can do it. Now, he's given us abilities. He's given us ability to love them. 
He's given us abilities to encourage them with the word. He's given us the ability to be an example of light as opposed to darkness. He's given us these abilities. But only God has the ability to change that person. Do I recognize my inabilities? And do I recognize his abilities in all these relationships? I remember on one of her first ministries, there was a guy I used to go visit and with his friend, we'd play golf together, and we'd try to evangelize this guy and get him to come around to the Lord to a sense spiritually. I left, uh, we never had success. We were very <laughs> inept. But while I was gone, we came back after being another, living in another city to visit these dear people, and I saw this man's name on the chalkboard as having a responsibility in the church. And I went to this brother, and I said, well, I see your brother's name is up here. What happened? He said, man, he said, I tried doing everything. I'd haul people like you to talk to him. I beat him over the head with the Bible. I finally prayed and said, God, if you're going to change this guy, you're going to have to do it yourself. <laughs> and God brought a lovely little Christian girl into his life. He fell in love. And through her, he came to know about the Lord. My friends, we're not inept. It's not like we can't do anything. But we're only able to do what we can do. And we have to trust God to be able to do what he can do. The question is, is do I have a passion for his ability or do I have a passion for my ability? Well, look at how this text ends, starting in verse uh, 53. It says, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, or the countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. It's amazing. The disciples didn't get it, but the people did. <laughs> right? Man, those that were sick, those who were hurting those that were on mats, those who could, who recognized physically their inability, they wanted trust in God's ability. They wanted God to do something in their life. You know, my friends, I look at these people and I ask myself, is that what it takes for me to trust God? To be in a sickbed? Hmm? To have my world unravel? To lose a job? To have a financial issue? To be in conflict with somebody that I love? Is that what it takes to wake me up to trust God's ability and to pray? And the people that had a passion for God's ability were not the 12 who lived with him, not the 12 who heard his teaching, but were the masses who were hurting. And you know, I, I think Jesus, soon after this, the, the religious leaders come to him and say, Lord, give us another miracle. And you know what he says? No way, Jose. That's in the Greek. He says, no way, Jose. Because he says, you've had enough. You won't believe what I tell you. He says, now I'm headed for the cross. And probably this event is the peak of the popularity of Jesus. And he's at his peak when he gives them food. He gives them peak when he has large numbers. He gives them, he's at his peak when there's mass hysteria about Jesus. But when it comes to humbling yourself and saying, God, I will acknowledge you as my Lord. I will acknowledge you as my Savior. That's when Jesus says, we're headed for the cross. 
The problem is, is they don't, we have a hard time developing a lifelong ambition to simply trust him and his ability for who he is. Last summer when we arrived at our little cabin up in Canada, our neighbors were excited because there's an oak tree that's sort of dying uh, near the near the lake shore, about 10 feet off the shore, and some woodpeckers. You ever seen the car- Woody the Woodpecker cartoon? <laughs> it looks just like Woody the Woodpecker. These big birds were there, male and a female, and they would they they had had some some eggs and they had dug out a hole in the tree. They built a nest and uh, had some little little uh, baby woodpeckers there. And it was amazing. For several weeks, we had watched them go and get food and bring the food, and these babies would squawk and squawk. They made the loudest noise you've ever heard. And every day, they were dependent upon the the mother and the father coming and giving uh, food to them. And then one day, there was the biggest noise. I thought, man, what's going on out there? And all of a sudden, these, these woodpeckers fell out of the tree, and they flapped their wings, and they flew off into the bush, into the woods, and we never saw them again. You know, I thought, what a wonderful example of just trusting God every day. Those babies were in that nest, and every day they had to trust the mom and the dad to bring them food. And if they didn't have the food, they wouldn't have matured and been able to fly off one day. But the day came. It was a noisy day, a very noisy day, when they were pushed out of that nest, and they flopped to the ground, and they took off. And they began their life. My friends, every element, every day, every stage is an element of do I trust God's provision? Do I trust God's ability? Do I trust him to create me to be what he wants me to be? I ask you a question today. Do you realize that God, do you believe that God is more able than you think he is? Hmm? Or do we put a lid on his, on our trust of him? Well, let me summarize by this. Let me find, find this. I ask myself, how could I trust God's ability? Not that God is just able, and I recognize my inability. That's pretty simple. But the biggest question is, how can I trust him? Well, let me give you four suggestions as we wrap it up here. The, the first suggestion I would give you is I think that we have to believe simply in the teaching of God. I love it in verse 34, where it says that Jesus is trying to get away from people He's trying to get the disciples up alone, but they can't because of the masses. And it says that Jesus sat them down and he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And as I look at that, I ask myself, what is God trying to do? He is trying to, you know, give them teaching. Why is he giving them teaching? Because to have trust in God, you must know what God has to say. You must know God and know his words, what he has said. And my friends, I think the number one step, the most basic elements, elementary step in trusting God is to take the truth of God and to apply it to our lives. Faith comes by hearing, Paul says, and hearing by what? The Word of God. I can't have faith, not just for salvation, but faith for any situation in my life without clearly understanding what God's Word says and how it will do. What did Jesus say as he was walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would, be, uh, where he would pray and be betrayed? What did he say? What was he, he walked through a vineyard and he turned to his disciples and he said, unless you abide in me and my words abide in you. Right? There's got to be that relationship based upon my words. In fact, he said this. He said, if you love me, 
If you love me, you will obey me. The last sermonette Jesus gave the disciples was this. If you love me, if you love me, you will obey me. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So the man, the woman, the young person might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God equips us and prepares us for everything that God wants to do. And my friends, the basic form... The basic level of trusting God is simply knowing the Word of God and then applying it to your life and believing it. What are some common areas where we have a hard time trusting God? Help me out. Give me some illustrations. Where do, where do we have a hard time believing the clear teaching of God's Word? Can you give me an illustration? Finances. Finances. Okay, finances, that's a good one. I mean, especially in today's economy, right? Jobs, people... Uh, someone in our men's group this morning said that 30% of entrepreneurs, of small business owners, are not taking a paycheck right now. 30%. That's, that's a pretty significant number. <laughs> so, it, it, and it's, you know, that's a real tough time to trust God. What else? Somebody say something? Okay, we don't, he doesn't answer prayers we want him to? Okay, as we want him to. All right. We make requests and we don't see any action. <laughs> right? Okay. Present company accepted. <laughs> okay. Praying that he will change people. All right. One more. Can you give me one more? Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I thought you were saying something. Okay. Trusting for your future. You know, let's, let's take though. Let's take though. Let's take the. Let's take the one on finances. Uh, you know, I, I finances is something that's hitting our economy right now. You know, and you look at the, what the Bible says about you know whether you believe in tithing or whether you believe in proportional giving. I mean, it's God wants us to be generous back to Him as He has been generous to us. Our family has adopted the ten percent rule as a bare minimum. For normal giving, we would not impose that upon you, but that's how we do it in our family. I love First uh, Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse two. It says, "On the first day of the week, set aside, you know, in proportion to how God has blessed you." So, and in the Old Testament, the Israelites came with their first fruits, right? You know, to God. We learned that in um, when in doing a building campaign in Canada. I mean, the first campaign we did was raise a million dollars to buy a piece of property for this church, and. Uh, so people don't know what to give. And so, they, so um, I knew I had to give an example, a benchmark of giving. And I was making, I was a young father with four little kids and making in the 30, low 30s at that time. And I stood up in front of the congregation and told them I would be, our families want to take 1% of the million dollars, which was $10,000, as our commitment to this, uh, to this goal. I'd never done that before. But I said, that's the commitment we're willing to make. In the service that day was a man who was, was visiting, who had been visiting our church. And he was not a Christian yet. And after church, he came up to me. And because we had two services, I had to stand in front of the communion. So people come out, go out as new people, other people were coming in. And he reached into his pocket to give me a piece of paper. And instead he pulled out his pipe tobacco. He said, oh, that's the wrong one, preacher. <laughs> and then he reached over here and he pulled out this, this thing about a car. 
he said, you know, he said, uh, he said, I'm in charge of leasing cars at my company. And as I got this one, that's been turned in. It's worth about $12,000 and I can get it for you for $2,600. Would you be interested in buying this car? And I said, would I, <laughs> you know, and I thought to myself, I just gave $10,000 away and God, after the church service, gave me back my 10000 bucks. Now, I don't think you give to get. Believe me, I don't believe that at all. But I thought to myself, God is no man's debtor. God is no man's debtor. Not only did that man enable our family to get a car that we couldn't afford, but secondly, is later he became a Christian. And later became an elder in the church. And today is one of the best friends that we have in Canada. And I thought to myself... When I just did a small thing like saying, God, I'm going to take the word of God, what it says about giving, and I'm going to trust you with it, then God takes it and does so much more. My friends, he is more able, more able than we think he is if we just listen to his word. The second area, I think, is testing. I like it here in, in verse uh, 35 and 37 where he turns to the disciples and he says, uh, they said, Lord, we got to feed these people. He says, well, okay, you, let's, you, know, you give them something to eat. <laughs> you do something. And they say, Lord, <laughs> I mean, you're talking eight months' salary. There's no way we can afford to do something to teach these people. But my friends, he is saying, you do it. And they said, we, we can't. He said, okay, then I'll do it. You know, my friends, what was Jesus doing here? I think he was testing these disciples. He was testing them. Testing is not bad. Testing is good. A professor tests the students to find out have they learned, right, at the end of the semester. So a test is not a bad thing. Even Jesus was tested in the four temptations. I mean, the three temptations were given to him in Matthew chapter 4. And even Jesus was tested, and he passed the test. And so when God gives us a test... And I think he gives them to everybody. He gave them to Jesus. He gave one to, to David. He gave several to David. David, what, dodged spears? David had to run into caves to get away from King Saul. And one time, remember, King Saul went into the bathroom to take care of some, to, into the uh, cave to take care of some personal business. And David's there and was able to cut off a piece of his, of his robe. Remember that story? And Saul goes out, and David is filled with remorse for what he has done and comes out and holds it up and asks the forgiveness of the king. David passed the test. He passed the test so significantly, significantly when he turns to the king and says, Am I a flea, you know, that you come chasing at me with these big old things? I'm just a flea on a dog. And King Saul looks at this man who has passed a test and he says, David, you are more righteous than I am. You are more righteous than I am. My friends, God wanted to test David to prepare him for future work. And God wants us not only just to believe the teaching of Scripture, but then to take the tests that come our way and to use them to grow to become the people that God wants us to be. How does God test us, huh? Hmm? How does God test us? Um, I go into a shell station back in the old days. Remember the old days you put your credit card in a machine and they'd swipe it? Remember those old days? Okay. And uh, and, uh, make a copy of it. And I put $34 worth of gas in my car. Got out into my car, I was getting ready to drive off, and I noticed that on my receipt, he'd only registered $3.40. I made almost 31 bucks on buying the gas. <laughs> what a deal. 
Now, do you drive off and say, oh, God, you are so wonderful? <laughs> or do you go back and say, sir, I think you've made a mistake. What do you mean when I've made a mistake? Well, I, you, you should have charged me $34, and you charged me $3.40. You see, that really was not a financial issue, was it? It was a test for me. Do I trust God in being willing to do the honorable thing for that person? Or say someone says something that's nasty about you behind your back. Ever had that happen? Hmm? And the old flesh, you want to be like Jackie Gleason who says, to the moon, Alice. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the flesh, that's what we want to do. In the flesh, we want to respond. And sometimes the best way to pass the test is just to zipper up our lips and throw the locket and throw the key away. Hmm? In that situation. Every day... In some way, I think probably there's a test that comes our way. And we, it's a test to take the clear teaching of Scripture and apply it to our lives. And Jesus is saying, you can do it, feed them. And they're saying, no, I can't. And he's saying, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? I think the third way we can learn to build trust is through responding to the rebukes that come our way. I love this passage where they're going out across the sea, and Jesus appears walking beside them. They think he's a ghost. And what does he say? He says, oh, come on, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I mean, he makes two negative statements about who these guys are. I mean, like we said, this is the second time they have seen Jesus walk on water, and he is rebuking them. Don't you know that it is I? I am here. And if I had the ability to feed 5,000 people, I can take, I had the ability to take care of you in the storm. And here he wants to simply rebuke them. And my friends, if I, if, if I don't believe God's word and apply it, and if I'm not willing to pass the test and be stretched in the way that God wants to stretch me, then maybe God has to rebuke me. Maybe he's got to slap me in the face a little bit, huh? Hebrews chapter 12, he disciplines those he loves. And God has to rebuke me. Uh, Job of old. Job was strong. You know, naked I came into this world. Naked I'm going out of this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an attitude. Huh? What an attitude that he had. But at the end, God had to rebuke Job. He said, Job, where were you? Hmm? Where were you? Where were you, Job? And God had to rebuke even this man who in the past had been godly. And my friends, no matter who we are, no matter what we've accomplished in our past, if we don't take God's word at face value, if we're not willing to pass the tests that come our way, there may come a time when he has to rebuke us. I remember one time I was in a conversation with a man who wanted to make an appointment with me because I had said something that offended him. Now, to my credit... (laughs) This guy and his family developed a bad attitude because another man in his church, there was an employment issue, and I took the side of the other guy. And so there was an attitude towards me because of that. But he came in, and as he spoke, I realized, even though I felt like he was wrong, I realized what I said was wrong. And God was using this man in my life to slap me around, to rebuke me, to wake me up. And my friends... We can sit there and defend ourselves till we're blue in the face. But if we don't see that maybe God is rebuking us for a lack of faith, a lack of trust, our sin, not recognizing he is able, then what happens next? Maybe suffering. 
We make choices that will only put us on a poor path. And so listen to the rebuke that God brings your way. And then the last way I think we can build trust is through maximizing our suffering. It amazes me here in verse 53 and following that the people that come to him are, are, the, are the sick and those that have no, who are hurting. I discovered in my sickness and in my days of trouble when I trust God, I, I wonder, am I ashamed of myself? <laughs> because does it take all of this to force me to trust him? And I wonder if my crying out to him in my pain might be my lowest form of trust. Why can't I trust him on the good days? Why can't I trust him when the sun is shining? Why can't I trust him when all things are going well? But you know, the sad part about this trust is that Jesus, in the next chapters, he starts to realize that all this trust is for externals, for food, for hysteria, for excitement. But this trust is not for him as the Lord and Savior. And my friends, they say that suffering... Builds character, and it does build character. You learn that, and you say, boy, look at the le- I wouldn't want to go through that again, but thank God for the lessons I learned. But secondly, suffering also what? Reveals character. It reveals the, the kind of faith, the kind of person that I am, that I, the faith that I have on the inside. Years ago, Susie's parents were living in Mexico, and they were missionaries, and they were getting ready to make a border trip back to the United States. And they'd been to the bank and got all the money they needed for the trip, and they'd packed up the van. And in the midst of opening the gates, some robbers came in and closed the gates behind them. And they went through the house. They tied Susie's mom and dad up and gagged them. And uh, they put them in separate rooms for a while to try to find out where the stuff was. They took pictures of the family off the wall, put them on the ground, and then stepped on them, trying to break them in case there was money or valuables hidden behind them. And one time they're in the room together and and Susie's mom's gag slipped from her mouth and she started to talk. And her husband said, oh, woman, be quiet. (laughs) He's afraid she's going to say something's going to get him killed. And her mother in the midst of that situation turned to those men and said in Spanish, men, we believe in Jesus Christ and we love him. And we pray that you will love him as well. And she shared the gospel with them while they're robbing her house. I thought instead of being the lowest form of suffering, of of faith, maybe suffering can be the highest level as well. When we're going through the worst, when our hands are tied behind our back, do we really trust him to be God? Well, this week, what's your challenge, huh? What's your challenge? Well, I ask you, number one, take the clear teaching of God's word and apply that to your situation. And believe that if God said it, God's word must be true. And ask him by his grace to do what only God can do. Just believe his word. Secondly, he's going to bring some tests in your life to make sure you obey it. (laughs) You believe it. Do you really believe it? And see those as tests. Not as problems, not as frustrations, but see them as tests and say, yes, God, I want to pass. Thirdly, look for a rebuke. When you know you're not believing, you're not passing the test, maybe God will rebuke you. And take it and respond to it. Become the obedient person God wants you to be. And then thirdly, look at even those tough times and say, God, these are wonderful opportunities for me to maximize my suffering and reveal the trust that I have in you. My friends, the feeding of the 5,000 and more, more 
teaches us that God is more able than we think he is. He is more able. You know, I, I look at, I'm a, I'm a father and now a grandfather with uh, five and one on the way, <laughs> right? One on the way, one in the oven. And at this stage in life, you want to pass on your values as much as you can. You want them to believe in, in this culture, to believe the same stuff that you believed and to honor the God of heaven. And I ask myself, how can they do it? How can they withstand the tides that are out there in our society? My friends, it's only if they have an anchor they can always go back to. And the anchor is the Lord. But they can't see him. But they can see their mother, their grandmother. They can see the father, and they can see the grandfather. And the more of an anchor we can be, no matter what hits them at work, no matter what hits them in friendships, no matter hits them in temptations... They always know there is someone back here who has taught me how to trust the God of heaven and earth and his ability. And my friends, if you trust God's ability in your life, God will flip it and use it to teach others that follow how to trust him as well. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Sometimes we just need a reminder, like we did today, from the feeding of the 5,000, that you are able. That God, what you did with five loaves and two fishes, you can do in our lives with the situations that frustrate us. And Lord, I pray that you might teach us in a fresh way today to see you for who you are, the creator of heaven and earth, the savior of our souls. And so, Father, today in a fresh way, we give you our lack of faith. We give you the things where we have not been trusting your ability. And right now, Lord, we trust you to do what only you can do. Father, may we be bright lights in our society. May we be examples of men and women and, and young people who honor you with a simple faith in our hearts. Oh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.